from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's time to rejoin the undisputed best sports talk show in Houston. It's clearly John and Lance, except no substitutes. Hey, welcome back. Dell in for Lance, who's on vacation. Joining us now, Josh Pick at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, a must follow. He's also got his podcast, The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Uh, he's brought to you by Demers Barbecue every week right here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Josh, you went to, you had that circled, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game. Historically, that stadium, because of the way it's built, I mean, all the sound just leaves, just leaves the stadium. It's not, it's not really, it's not, it's clearly not even close to one of the loudest stadiums in the country. What was the atmosphere like on, on, on Saturday night there? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because that's true, um, strictly from an engineering perspective. But two times I've been in a building where that's true. Two years ago, Ohio State at Michigan, same same deal. And last week, Ohio State at Notre Dame. I don't know what it is about Ohio State coming to town, but both times those places were off the charts. And I would imagine if you ask season ticket holders, they were probably top five environments they've ever experienced there. Uh, it was really good, and I would say – if you've got 80,000 in there, I'd say 25 to 30 were probably Ohio State. So you got the green out. So it's all red, all green, looked totally like a Christmas special. And it was amazing. 70 degrees, low humidity, not a cloud within 600 miles. You could never have dialed up a better anything, a better environment, better weather, better ending. So it was a pleasure to witness that one. So loud that uh, Notre Dame couldn't even get the num- right number of guys on the field. Exactly. You know what? That's the way I would tell the story down the road. If I were Marcus Freeman, I would just say it was so loud in there, we didn't even know we only had 10 guys on the field multiple times. (laughs) Josh, I want to talk about construction, but actually team building, because sticking with the Notre Dame team itself, I don't want to say it's the same old Notre Dame, but I look at them and I see great offensive line. You're going to find your tight ends. You're going to play really good defense. But there seems just to be a difference between the type of player they get at wide receiver and the type of player a team like Ohio State would get. So you go on a message board anywhere, fans are going to talk about building the trenches. And I believe it. You can't win a title without that. You can't be paper mache at the, at, on the offensive line or the, on, or the defensive front. But where would you rank wide receiver rooms as far as importance to winning a, winning a title? Um, much higher than the book would rank them, I think. I, it wasn't but like 10 years ago that people valued – O-line and D-line, as they will until the end of time. They valued quarterback, but even then it was more decision-making and poise rather than high-end tools. They heavily valued the running back room, tight ends as well. And then wide receiver was almost like, let's just get some workman-like guys out there and let's make sure they can run a 4-6-5 and we'll be good. And nowadays, man, like even with Georgia, these past two Georgia teams – you don't think of wide receiver in the first five position units. You don't think wide receiver, but where are they without AD Mitchell making those big plays who has since transferred to Texas and is still making big plays now. So I think on a down to down basis, the wide receiver room may not stand out, but when you need the big plays, the explosive plays, the ones that end up in the highlight reel for decades to come, those guys are really important. And I think they're the difference in winning nine or ten games versus winning a championship. So I think it's really important. And I also think with Notre Dame, it probably says a lot to make your point that the two guys they're really leaning on right now the most are true freshmen. 
And they, they've actually embraced the portal. Now, they're not going to get every kind of kid that LSU could get, but they've embraced the portal. I think they'll end up getting some pretty good wide receiver talent up there, and it may not be out of high school. It may be via the portal. Um, but the first thing that kids needed to see is they needed to see Notre Dame with pretty good quarterback play. So when they went and got up Hartman, it kind of signified to a lot of kids, okay, they're all of a sudden going to be serious about offense up there. And so while it didn't bear itself out this cycle, I think in cycles to come it will. Josh Pate brought you by Damaris Barbecue right here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Where are you headed this week? Well, you gotta you got to give me about 15 seconds here, so don't gasp when I say the game. I'm going to Auburn, Georgia, gasp, mm. and I know how terrible Auburn mm. was last week. Mm. I actually just have a sneaking suspicion <clears throat> that Auburn looks so bad that I think we may see a little, little reshuffling in the offensive deck, so to speak. Uh, that includes quarterback. That may include play calling. Hugh Freeze has been kind of open about that. What I love and what we have a lot across the country this week, whether it's Colorado, whether it's Ole Miss, or whether the game we're talking about with Auburn, Georgia, you've got a bunch of teams that just went on the road and lost, and now they're coming home in wounded animal mode. And I always love that spot in college football especially because it is it is grounds for some of the more unexpected results that we get year to year. And so Georgia's a two-touchdown favorite in there. Uh, Georgia's unscathed, but we haven't seen them tested. We haven't seen them on the road. We haven't seen them face a team that's committed to running the football. That doesn't mean that they'll be exposed, but it does mean that no, no water pressure has really been applied to the dam. So we cannot know if there are cracks there yet. Same with Michigan. Michigan's going to Nebraska this week. They're favored by double digits. They should be. But we don't know really about the pressure points and the potential flaws because no one's tested it yet. So I'm going down there, deep south, oldest rivalry. Let's just let's just all see what happens. That's mm. the best sales point I can give you right now. Mm. In other words, there's not a lot of great great games on the slate this week. So <laughs> that's another way to say we'll that. Just, I guess. We'll but just marketing say. marketing told me that probably doesn't sell too well. So there's a couple of, of of lines that we're looking at this week. We, we uh, Dell and I went over them yesterday. Two of them are invo- involve our teams right here. A and M in Arkansas. Arkansas is uh, Texas A and M is given six and a half. That game is always always down to the wire in overtime. It is a battle how one team could give, be given six and a half. And then the other one is Kansas going to Texas and catching 16 and a half, which I think is crazy too. Yeah, the Kansas, look, I, I'm a believer in this. I'm a believer that odds makers do not always set lines to split the action 50-50. I think that's a myth. I, I think those guys really, truly work off their internal numbers, and they may shift a point or two here or there depending on public perception, but with the Kansas-Texas game, I, I'm very curious because on the surface, I agreed with what you said. I, th- I thought that they were just bumping that number up to 16 or 17 based on what they thought the public was going to do. And the public, it doesn't matter what you tell them about the Kansas roster. They just see that Jayhawk logo versus the Longhorn, and they lean Texas heavily. That's all there is to that. Well, I thought I was going to pull up my own numbers and have my numbers scream at me, take Kansas. This number should be 12. This number should be 12 and a half. And my numbers actually think the line's not high enough, which surprises me greatly because my gut would be Kansas. So I'm staying away from that one. Um, remember, they, they smoked Baylor last week. Texas just suffocated Baylor. They've got Oklahoma on deck. It's the perfect letdown look-ahead spot. And yet here we are. They're favored by 16 or 17 against 
one of the most experienced rosters in college football, really good quarterback in Daniels. And I look, I'm going to watch it consequence free because I don't have a dime on it, but I'm very interested in how that one plays out. You mentioned Arkansas A&M. Yeah. I would just put a line of three or four in that game every year and let them have at it. I really question what Arkansas has left in the tank after just two gut wrenching losses. And now they go back out on the road. This is part of a stretch for Arkansas, by the way, where they go on the road four straight times. This one's disguised on this neutral site, but they're still getting on a plane to go to the game. So they have a four-week stretch. It is basically a four-game road trip for Arkansas, which should never happen in college football, but somehow it did. Josh, Michael Penix has now at least that one book, the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. The Pac-12 full of great quarterbacks. No, nowhere, no conference is close as far as the quarterback talent. Now, who do you actually enjoy watching with? I know that Caleb Williams has the has the reputation, generational prospect, number one overall pick if he decides to come out. Is do you enjoy watching a different quarterback in that conference, or is Caleb Williams at the top for you? No, Michael Penix, uh, Bo Nix, I enjoy watching as well. But Penix, I watched last night. <clears throat> it's actually the last thing I did before I went to bed. I watched their game against Cal. I am not sure there's anyone more lethal than him and more lethal than that offense in college football right now. I mean, he's got three NFL receivers out there as well, but it's not just that. Like, they play effectively on the line of scrimmage. They can run the ball better than I thought they'd be able to run it, so there's that. But also defensively, they're they're better than I thought they would be. So it's a complementary style, but, man, like, people ask that question all the time, which player is most important to his team's success? And it always goes Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina is a popular name in the South. But, dude, watch Michael Penn. That's terrifying. I talked to a coach that's going to have to face them at some point this year, and he said, man, I don't even know how to stop that. Now, we'll get it figured out. Don't worry. I mean, once we get down to that game a little bit later in the year, we'll put both eyes on it. But right now, we're just watching them on TV like you guys are, and that is impressive to see. Hopefully, they're hot right now and they cool off. I doubt that. So I'm going to go Michael Penix. I think the odds market is correct on him. If you okay, which Pac-12 team do you take to be a playoff team right now? Oh man, <clears throat> I picked Oregon to win the thing. I think they're the best equipped on the line of scrimmage when you combine that with really good quarterback play. Um. Today, though, like if the playoff were happening today, it would be Washington for me. I think it's impossible to judge Southern Cal because they played a schedule ranked in the 130s. Uh, that's why we play 12 games, of course, because they'll get tested on the back half. But I think if you ask the question differently, if you ask how many playoff caliber teams do they have, they've got three or four of them right now. How do you look at Utah, who just keeps winning and not call them? a playoff-caliber team, because they faced quality competition so far. They took down Florida. They went on the road and took down Baylor. Uh, they, they took down UCLA last week and only scored 14 in the process. So I, I think Oregon State will still have a lot of noise to make. I, look, I think UCLA, we just mentioned them, that's the kind of team whose production is going to scale pretty quickly in the back half once Dante Moore gets more reps under his belt. So, dude, I don't know. I think I just listed half the conference. I'm really high on that conference right now, not just in terms of competitive balance, but high-level competitive balance. And Utah doesn't even have a quarterback right now. Yeah, we'll see right. where Cam Rising comes back or not. Yeah, in a year, I'm sure it's been said so many times, in a year where that conference is, is going to go away, it's probably the best it's ever been in, like, certainly recent memory. And the gauntlet could possibly mean a team with two losses – 
doesn't make make the playoff yeah. in the Pac-12, but they're one of the best teams in the country. So we'll see how we'll see how it goes. So you're going to Auburn, Georgia. People people lock, watch Georgia against South Carolina and, and kind of saw it as a hiccup. We're not we we are going to see Georgia in the SEC title game. You don't think there's there there's anything in their path, and do you think they're still winning that conference as long as health doesn't go 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 against them? Yeah, I do. The I think the scenario that could come out of nowhere is Florida has already a loss, but it's not in conference, so they're equal there. If Florida were to just keep quietly winning these conference games, and they don't have a big, big one before Georgia. Now, they're an underdog to Kentucky this week, so don't misunderstand me. They've got challenges, but they don't have a marquee game until that Georgia game later in the year. If Florida buys themselves enough time and extends the runway enough to where they're playing at a high enough level and or Georgia just turns out to be really good but not elite, that could end up being a game where, you know, Georgia loses it. It's like losing one and a half games in the standings. That could happen, but even then, we're counting on Florida not to lose another game, and I don't know that I would count on that. So, I don't know. They go to Tennessee way late in the year. Uh, Tennessee is not what they were last year, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right on that. And then in the West, I think we talked about it last week, the reports of Alabama's demise, very premature. They took care of that business like they like Alabama does. Um, and, you know, LSU, they got the one loss, but it was out of conference. Um, Max Johnson looks pretty good. Uh, he looked really good in, in, in relief, and now he's going to be the starter for the rest of the way. We'll see what happens with this Arkansas game, though. But the West is still is wide open, isn't it? It's wide open. It probably comes down to LSU-Alabama. That one's in Tuscaloosa. Um, I think that it's interesting that Alabama's got a defense they can lean on right now. They, they're kind of like Ohio State in that way. And we talked about this the first time we talked this year. you got two of the premier programs in America – who are questionable at quarterback, but they have built defenses that will afford themselves time to figure it out. That's exactly what Bama and Ohio State can do right now. And by the time they get to their stretch run games, like Penn State or Michigan or LSU, like we're talking about, or Tennessee with Alabama, they probably will have a very workable version of their 2023 offense on the field. And this is, it's enough, you're kind of getting a glimpse of what the 12 team playoff will be like every year. So this is what it'll be like every year for teams like that. Doesn't matter what they do early. Doesn't matter if they stumble. They will be given time to figure it out. And then in November, all of a sudden, their talent will play up to the potential and they'll get in the playoff and everyone will be mad. That'll be the playoff every year when we expand it. Amazing how that happens, Josh. Alabama and Ohio State, known for their offenses over the last couple of years, actually have a downturn in offense. And look, recruiting help them and they're they're great on defense. So they'll they'll be just fine. Just Just how it goes. So yeah, I think... I think you talked about it. Maybe I heard you talk about it even before the Texas game that that Alabama defense may be something we have been used to in the past. But my final thing is, do you put anything into what Lane Kiffin said before the game where he pretty much said they shadow demoted Kevin Steele? Is is there anything behind that or is that what just Lane being Lane during, during game week? No, I actually asked several folks in the program about that. And there's a version of it that's true, but it's not what Kiffin suggested. What's happening over there is I don't think they were happy with the speed with which they were getting their play calls then. And so I think T-Rob, who Lane Kiffin just wholesale said is calling the defense. Now, I think what they did is they changed 
they changed their mechanisms for getting plays called in. And I think that he's probably been very effective in helping that. But as for who's pulling the trigger over there as the DC, that's Kevin Steele, 110%, in my opinion. And it's a, a pretty informed opinion. That's Josh Pate at Josh Pate on Twitter at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. Uh, Late Kick with Josh uh, uh, is also a podcast that you got to listen to every week right here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 brought to you by Damaris Barbecue. Great stuff as always, Josh. Have fun. I don't know. I don't think that's going to be a fun game, but you just do your best on Saturday. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Yeah, good people, good food. I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> Come on where you can eat good. That's a good thing. Always a good That's choice. always a good thing. Yeah. That tailgate's going to be great. Everything about it. Not the game. Not the game. Not the game. The, game. the whole know. Robbie Ashford playing quarterback. Not, I, don't, I, I, don't know I saw that. I saw that act at a and Not. Sure. I don't think it'll be great against Georgia, even if it is at home. Break in here. Someone 3780 the number if you'd like to get in here with us on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Dude. I'd be most worried about seeing my seminal vesicles. I like the Florida State seminal vesicles. <laughs> 